0: Tonight, Don Huckabee, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, making biscuits with Marianne Byrd, the amazing magic of pop. Oh, say, can you see Harper Grace? That's Trey Corley of the Music City Connection. And I'm your author, Keith and.
1: We have a fantastic studio audience here tonight, and we're so grateful that you have joined us here on The Huckabee Show. Gonna be a lot of fun, great variety tonight. So buckle up and stay with us. Hey, let me ask you a question. What issues do people really care about? Probably the ones that hit them hardest on a personal level, right? I mean, things like gas, groceries, guns, and God. I mean, if they're paying almost twice for the gas to get the working back, twice what they paid when Joe Biden took office. I'm gonna tell you something, that matters. And the groceries that they put on their tables now cost almost 17% more than before, and that matters. Violent crime is rampant across the country and people are beaten or murdered in the streets or even in their homes. And everybody truly cares about safety. People don't want the government taking legal guns from them that they can have so that they can protect themselves While at the same time, leftist prosecutors let criminals back on the streets before the victims even get out of the hospital. And they don't want to be taken for fools when the government threatens to take children from their parents unless the parents agree to having their own children surgically mutilated or chemically castrated. And folks, families are done with the insanity of believing there are 57 genders and that a child can simply reimagine God-established biology to be whatever the child pretends to be. Yes, there are many other issues that Americans care deeply about. I mean, they watch in horror as public officials open the borders of our nation to allow millions of people who might even be terrorists, criminals, human traffickers, drug dealers, or people with a contagious disease. When people are here illegally and they take over schools, hospitals, and taxpayer-funded hotel rooms so that there's no room for tax-paying citizens, people are rightly outraged. And most Americans, Well, they want us to help neighbors around the world in their fight against tyranny, whether it's in Ukraine or Taiwan. But what they don't want is for there to be billions for a foreign government and then only hundreds of help, hundreds of dollars of pittance of help for Americans like those in Hawaii whose homes and lives were destroyed by the Maui wildfires. And by the way, I think people really do care that John Kerry flies around the world in a private jet all the time lecturing us on using fossil fuel. And you got Al Gore and Barack Obama living in massive beachfront homes that they both claim will soon be swallowed by the ocean because of climate change. Well, if so, why did you get those places, huh? But we're being told to stop using gas stoves, incandescent light bulbs, or gas-driven cars. It's not just that we're being asked to stop using air conditioning and comfort-causing items that we've worked hard to afford and own, but the ones who are dictating to our conduct but they don't practice what they preach. So spare us the double standard in hypocrisy. And do even people left of center, do they really want the government colluding with social media companies so that they can restrict what we can see or hear or restrict us from being able to speak freely without our views being eliminated on Facebook by some 24-year-old working from his laptop in his mom's basement with a bag of Cheetos at his side? I mean, Really? I don't think so. What most Americans care about and want, whether they're Democrats, Republicans or independents, is simply a government that remembers who the boss is. And by the way, the boss is not members of Congress or the bureaucrats that they authorize and fund. It's not the president or his agencies. We don't work for any of them. They work for us. I repeat, they work for us. We are not the servants of government. Government is the servant of the people. Citizens have every right to expect that the government will get out of our way so we can live our lives as we see fit, unless it intrudes on the lives and rights of others. Government shouldn't pick winners and losers in the economy by deciding which stores can be open during a pandemic and which ones have to close. We expect and demand that the justice system operate with indifference to someone's political views, their race, ideology, or religion. No person, whether they're male, female, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, rich or poor, should be treated differently by the criminal justice system. And we've got a right to expect that when we have elections, that every legal voter should get to vote. But no vote should ever be cast by someone not legally entitled to vote. By the way, that means that dead people need to stop voting even in Chicago, okay? Gotta stop. Now, I appreciate polls and surveys, and I don't scoff at them. But I also know that we don't have to have a poll to know that Americans want something that's really simple. And that's the right to believe, speak, travel, work, and play. Moms and dads, well, they just make better parents than Uncle Sam. And we don't apologize for the expectation that government will once again work for us rather than against us. Mike Pompeo's roles in the United States House of Representatives, then as CIA Director, and as Secretary of State have made him a significant figure in American politics and foreign policy. He was first in his class at West Point, then after his military career, was a successful entrepreneur. As Secretary of State, he was instrumental in facilitating the Abraham Accords, a series of agreements that normalized relations between Israel and several Arab countries. And now, in a brand new TBN film, Secretary Pompeo walks Route 60, the biblical highway that connects ancient Israel with modern Israel, Jews, Christians with Muslims, and Israelis with Palestinians. Would you please welcome to our show here in Nashville Secretary Mike Pompeo. Ah, that sounds like the welcome you got when you went and visited Kim Jong-un in North
2: Korea, right? <laughs> Almost identical, yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> it is so great to have you here. Oh, Mike, it's
2: great to be with you, Governor.
1: You know, I'm, I'm excited about this film, and I, I want to get right into that because it premieres next Monday and Tuesday in a thousand theaters across the country. And it's really a great story. You and Ambassador David Friedman, who was a phenomenal ambassador for the United States and the nation of Israel, you guys went the whole of Route 60 taking us from Dan to Beersheba and introducing us to this extraordinary country, Israel. Must've been a thrill to do that.
2: It, it was a it was an amazing time to be shot over several days. I got to go to places, governor, that I'd been to Israel many times, but I got to go to places that I'd never been that so many folks won't have the chance to go see. And you, you talk about telling the story. We tell a story we all know, right? We tell the story of the Bible. Yeah. And we remind people that this is real, that this place, Judea and Samaria, is special and unique. Uh, it's that the Israel, all of Israel, is the rightful homeland of the Jewish people. And we tell the story uh, that is so deeply personal for an evangelical Christian. And I got to hear Ambassador Friedman talk about it from an Old Testament, from an Orthodox Jew's perspective, and it was just really lovely. And I, I hope folks will enjoy the movie as well, and they'll learn a little bit too. They're going to love the movie. Uh, first of all, the cinematography, even if there was yeah.
1: not a wonderful story being told that, that you and David Friedman did such a masterful job of doing, but the cinematography, it's its going to the land and seeing it in a way that no one else will get to do because, as you mentioned, you went to places that people don't normally get to go and see because they're isolated or they're out of the way or maybe they're under such tension.
2: Look, we, we got to go to Hebron. It's hard for hmm. people to get there to stand between the tombs of the founders of the Hammerhamic faith, Abraham and Sarah. Uh, we, we got to Shiloh. These, were, these are places that are so... There's stories we know about Hannah and the Bible. There's stories we know, but to see them and touch them uh, and to be able to share them in this movie was really just a lot of fun and very special for me. I really am hoping that
1: people across the country uh, will go and see this film, and I think it will be inspiring and informational for them. We have a little clip that we're gonna show. This is when you and David Friedman are uh, going and looking at the, uh, uh, the altar of Joshua. Let's take a look.
2: You're staring at an altar of of joshua who began like you at west point right right as a fighter as a fighter as a someone who graduated from west point and then had this incredible privilege to serve the united states as its most senior diplomat i i literally got up every morning reminding myself of the task uh, the task of of putting the our nation in the right place so that we could create peace and prosperity with an understanding of something that's bigger it's god right joshua came to see that right he reconnected the jewish people with god in this place
1: It's really just so well done. And when I watched it, I I was immersed in it. I mean, it wasn't like, okay, I'll watch it because I have to. (laughs) I I watched it and I I found myself caught up in it. The time passed so quickly. Uh, Interestingly, on the screen, people can see in the lower thirds, there's a QR code. Uh, I I saw that earlier and I thought maybe I had glaucoma because I couldn't read it. But it's (laughs) actually a QR code. And if you take your phone and put it up to there on the camera... It will take you to all the theaters locally where you can see the film and a lot of information about it. So while we're having this conversation, people can go up to their television set, hit that QR code with their phone, and
2: uh, learn a whole lot about the film. As I was walking this place, I got to travel this road. Um, I was reminded of some of the times I was learning from fifth graders <laughs> in Sunday school uh, <laughs> about these very same stories, about how we learned to pray and how we learn to appreciate that this is really the place that Jesus walked and. And so I think everyone will get a chance to see that and learn uh, and experience it in the way that when I got to see it on the big screen for the first time, it was really quite remarkable.
1: One of the things that you were a major architect of was the Abraham Accords. And I don't know if a lot of Americans fully appreciate it, because uh, since it was done under the administration of Donald Trump, the media did not give it the attention it deserved. This was a big deal. It was a really big deal. You... David Friedman and others helped to orchestrate getting at the same table, Israelis and the UAE, the Emiratis, uh, other governments that are Muslim governments. That must've been a surreal experience to be part of that.
2: You know, Governor, it really was. I I heard you in your opening monologue talk about government that serves people. Yeah. (laughs) We we didn't get it right every day, but we were very focused on that. The Trump administration, we aimed every day We shorthanded it as America first, but the idea was to deliver good outcomes for the American people. And so we delivered these peace agreements between nations that had been at each other for decades and decades and decades. Uh, And it had great benefits for the countries. It had great benefits for the region. But, you know, I was a soldier and there are a lot of my peers that fought and Uh, lost their lives or were injured in wars in the Middle East. And the fact that we were able to create prosperity and peace in that region just reduces risk for a lot of young men and women who are fighting for our country. And so I was just thrilled to be a tiny part of that. And the Abraham Accords, I pray, will be lasting and uh, different from what's gone before and it'll be really good for America.
1: I want to talk more about the Abraham Accords, the film, and uh, also some things happening this week in the world that you will have some expertise about. We're not letting Secretary Pompeo go just yet. So stick around, there's a lot more to come, and we will be right back. Here we go.
0: Well, coming up later, Cash Patel talks deep state in his new book, Government Gangsters. And the magic of Malcolm Buckering is sure to amaze this town. Don't go away. Com and sign up for his free newsletter and follow Huckabee on Twitter.
1: And welcome back. We are visiting with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo throughout the Trump administration and an outstanding record that he had. You also were involved in meetings with Kim Jong un and North Korea. You got some of our hostages back from there. That was one of your wonderful accomplishments. But that must be one of the
2: weirdest places in the world
1: <laughs> to visit. Uh,
2: it, it absolutely is. It was uh, like flying into some place that is unimaginable empty airport, hotels that are empty. Uh, it was, and, and I was going there too, Governor, at a time when. Um, you'll remember we'd had an American, Otto Warmbier, yes. who had been held in captivity and had returned home to die from the, his mistreatment there. And I was there just right after that. We still had mm. three Americans there. Uh, and it was the most amazing thing when we got them back. These were Christians. Uh, they uh, When they got on the plane, one of them wrote me a little note, a psalm, thanking me for what I had done after he'd been through all that suffering. It was it was certainly from a personal perspective, the highlight of my time in the mm. four years uh, to to get these folks back to their families out of the hands of Chairman Kim, this truly evil bad guy who's killed thousands of his own people and get these folks back to their own home. It's still something when I think and talk about, it's deeply emotional. And I I stay in touch with a couple of them Uh, and you'll see a little clip from it in the movie, uh, a little clip talking about how it came to be. Uh, A a lovely time, we didn't pay a nickel to get them back, Hmm. um, but we got them home. When I was watching some things happening this week, I was thinking, I wish Mike
1: Pompeo was still Secretary of State. (laughs) We just um, paid Iran let go of $6 billion to get some hostages back. They,
2: the administration defended it. I don't think that's what you would have done. Well, it's not what we did. We, we, we got folks out of Iran, too. President Trump was a, a great boss, and he gave me lots of capacity to go work on these problems in the right way. Uh, and the heck of the deal is we're all thrilled to have them back to their families. Anytime we can get Americans home sure. uh, from, from a place like Evan Prison in Iran, it's a great thing. But I think about the next American who will be taken because we now know the price that will be paid by the United States under this administration to get them home. So it is deeply dangerous for every American. And we know this, too. We know the Iranians are trying to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. They've said that. And today they have $6 billion more with which to do that.
1: Now, wait, the administration said, oh, but they're
2: going to use this for humanitarian (laughs) purposes, Secretary. Yes, if, if I gave you $6 billion for something, you could use it for whatever the heck you wanted. Yeah. <laughs> and so will, and sadly, so will they. When you were Secretary of State, our country operated with a level of
1: strength. It wasn't that, yeah, we'll acquiesce to your demands. It was, you will negotiate with us because we actually are stronger, bigger, tougher, and we mean it.
2: I'll, I'll give you the, the great example. Pastor Brunson. Yeah. Held in Turkey, not to be released, uh, they were demanding all kinds of concessions from the United States in order to get him back. And we just made very clear, no, you you, you, you will return him. You will do so very quickly or there will be a real price to pay. Uh, at first, they didn't do it. We imposed the cost on them. And within a few hours, all of a sudden, uh, it turns out the court system in Turkey was going to let him come home. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it, it turned out to be a great idea. It turned to out to be go. a great idea. And it's the, it's the right way for America to exercise what is our duty to get these folks back and to get Pastor, Pastor Brunson back home it's just really special.
1: He knew that he was going to be there for the rest of his life. He would die in a Turkish prison, except America acted like America, that's
2: and right. they showed their strength. That's exactly right. And I think, to the best of my knowledge, that's now six years on, I yeah. think. I don't believe the Turks have taken another American hostage. This this is the pattern. We can do it when America leads, when you have a strong president and strong leadership in, the, uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, I pray that we get it back before too long. How hard was it to transition
1: between soldier Mike Pompeo, the West Point graduate, and then diplomat Mike Pompeo.
2: (laughs) My wife would tell you diplomat (laughs) wasn't something anybody thought I'd ever have to have after my name. Uh, For me, it it was just about trying to lead, to be a servant leader. Um, President Trump got elected. My mission set was to deliver on behalf of what President Trump asked me to do for the American people. And boy, we, we worked our tail off every day to try and get those outcomes for the American people. We were we were unembarrassed. We never apologized. President Trump's like, no, go there and tell them we're sorry. Like, No, go there and tell them if we, if, like, if we mess up, fair enough. But we never apologize for America because we know the American people are decent and good mm-hmm. and wonderful. And this is a country like none other in the world.
1: How refreshing for that policy to be in place. And I think every American appreciates that. I really hope people will see the film, uh, Route 60. It's, it's a masterful piece. No, you've got to be proud of that, to be part of that uh, process.
2: I am proud. I was a little piece. Ambassador Friedman's idea, TBN did great production. Uh, you know, we we did this while the uh, actor strike was on. In spite of what those folks do in Hollywood, <laughs> we decided we'd still go make ourselves a, a really fine movie. And I hope folks will this coming week go go see it, take their, their Bible study, their church group. Uh, it's for people of all ages. Kids could go see it and learn from it as well. And I hope Bible studies will pick it up. It's a wonderful opportunity to learn about Israel and the Bible and the greatness of the American nation.
1: I think I speak for a whole lot of Americans when I say I hope that your public service is not yet completed, that we will see Mike Pompeo and the national stage many times again. It would be to the benefit of America for that to happen. Thank you, thank you very much. You. Very, very much. Now, you're going to want to check out the film Route 60, The Biblical Highway. It's only in theaters this coming week, September the 18th and the 19th, to buy tickets and to follow Secretary Pompeo. If you go to Huckabee.tv, we'll connect you to both the film and to the secretary. Right now, Keith Bilberry is standing by. He's got nothing else to do other than tell us what we have coming up in this theater right here tonight. Keith?
0: Oh, but it's a tough job. Coming up, Mary Ann Bird rises to the occasion and puts on a biscuit-making clinic. And later, Harper Grace triumphs with a redemption song, Oh, Say Can You See. Watch out! Huckabee is on a roll!
1: This is gonna be fun, and here's why. Marianne Byrd is a journalist. She found a second career after she made the Emmy-winning PBS documentary, The Rise of the Southern Biscuit. I mean, it just doesn't get any better than that, right? And there is nothing that is more authentically Southern than a good biscuit. She is now the founder of the Southern Bell Biscuit Company, right here in Nashville. She has taught thousands of people how to make perfect Southern biscuits, and now she's taking on the ultimate challenge, teaching me how to make southern biscuits. Please welcome Marianne Bird. Welcome, Marianne.
3: Thank you. Hi, everybody. Hello. All right. Are you ready? I am so ready. Okay. I love me some Southern biscuits. In my class, I teach this in two and a half hours. So we're gonna do this in six minutes. So here let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Do it. Okay. I, I'm gonna teach you my biscuit blueprint. It's on the back of my bag of flour. It's okay. three things. Okay. I'm gonna do my quickest one, and that's an oil biscuit. So I have my own flour. We're going to do two cups of self-rising biscuit flour. This is soft red winter wheat. It has a low gluten content of 7.5% to 9.5%. So you want a low gluten uh, flour for your biscuits. If you have the wrong flour, they're going to be heavy. Okay? Boom, 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 boom. But
1: you mix your own flour and sell it because the commercial flour does not make the best southern biscuit, does it?
3: I don't think so. There you go. That's why I got my own made. This is grown by Southern Farmers in Kentucky, and it's blended for me in Kentucky. I kind of like that. I like it because it's real. So good. So uh, Phyllis at the Wilson County Fair taught me this one. Uh You just throw oil in. This is the quickest one since we only have six minutes, okay? I don't use a recipe. You didn't even measure that. Well, no real biscuit maker does. Oh, okay. Okay? You guys, I hold it like a baby on my hip, and I use my spatula, and I scrape and I scooch, okay? Mm -hmm. And I break break the uh, fat up into there. And then I get my hands into it. You want to try? Sure. You pick up handfuls of flour. I'm in. throw some I, I call it tray. Counting, I call it counting your money. Count your money. Okay? Ah. You want that fat all the way through the flour. Go ahead and do it. Okay. Count your money. Mmm. You want yummy? Lots of
1: money. Yum, yummy, money, money. Here we go.
3: Yummy fat in yummy every bite of biscuit. When you don't mix your fat in really well, you have dry pockets of... Uh, hmm. Hmm. Biscuit, you can't have that. No, we don't want that. This is the secret. This is what makes it good. Really? Okay, I like that. You think
1: I'm doing well? Yep,
3: you do. And then what I do is I just, I'll do my raining move where I make sure it's in all of it, okay? Okay. Make sure it's mixed all the way, no dry pockets of flour. Then we're going to add in, I have a low-fat buttermilk today. Oh, I love
1: buttermilk and everything.
3: And we do. Okay, like that. Mm. And then I hold it like this, and I scrape and scooch.
1: That baby's back in your
3: arms. You scrape and scooch. Scrape yeah. the walls of the scooch. You Just... didn't measure that buttermilk either. Well, no. It's no fun when okay. you measure. Um, but if you are a measuring person, I'll teach you in my class how you can get a... Okay. But I think it's more fun to do it like this, and all the biscuit makers in my documentary and book do it like that. You want to try to stir it like that? Sure. Yeah.
1: I'm not going to lean it against my jacket, because that well, might look, look bad for the rest happens. of Well, This is what happens. Yeah. You no. wore black tonight, too. You know, Mariana? It's very about self-destructive. White flour. I do. Um,
3: you're kind of, I call this my baby. You're kind of beating your baby. Oh, okay? I'm so sorry. Um, you guys, when, you, can... when you're heavy, when you, when you mash potato that or whip it, it, yeah, gets, it ups you be, the gluten. Should I be so my flour is 8% gluten. He's just made it into 12. Stop I'm sorry. Sure okay. Okay. You do it. There we go. All right, here we go. already failed. That's our baby. Let's get him out real okay. quick. Okay. There's our baby. Sprinkle your baby. Sprinkle the baby. Little uh, Johnson okay. and
1: Johnson powder okay. on the baby.
3: And now we're going to hold. Do
1: not put Johnson and Johnson powder on your biscuits, however.
3: Okay. I want you to hold, fold, and turn. You're writing Grandma a letter. Hold the piece of paper. You fold it over. You turn it towards your heart. Hi, mm-hmm. Grandma. Fold the paper. Go. Okay. You got it. Real stories in okay. this, right? Well, you Hi, don't. Grandma. You guys don't want it. Don't. Oh, did I mess that up? That's right. And then turn it towards your heart. Oh, okay. Hi, Grandma. Hi, Grandma. Trisha, no <laughs> hey, you, I wish
1: well, you, I could you make gotta, it. you got
3: to pull your hand oh, out, hon.
1: Put them out okay. like that. Okay. There you go. Turn it around to the heart. There we go. Hi, Grandma.
3: There
1: you, hey, Grandma. You've got to
3: keep your hand out of there, OK? Oh. Get it
1: out. All
3: right. OK. He's got to take my class. He needs more time. I plan to do it. I really okay. do. I'm going to do that. You need some work, but that's all right. I have biscuit detention for people like you.
1: <laughs> okay. You probably throw biscuits at people in your class, don't you?
3: No, I don't do that. No, everyone leaves a biscuit star when they take my class. Oh, okay. They all, everyone looks like they've been baking for two years when they Wonderful. Bake. You guys want to roll it real quick? Okay. Don't steamroll baby's face. Okay. <laughs> lightly go. Okay. Lightly, lightly. lightly. And I'm, I'm doing this real fast for TV. Normally, it's really pretty. And then um, I get my cutters. Okay. I'm going to have you cut this. Okay. And you can choose which one you want. This is the dating around cutter, no commitment. No. This is the commitment biscuit. That's your cat head, okay? And then up, down, don't twist, okay? Okay. And then we get our pan. I always use a, always butter my pan. You want butter on the bottom? Absolutely. Of your biscuit. Okay. There's our baby there. Go ahead.
1: Butter on there.
3: let now. Don't twist your cutter, okay?
1: Okay. Pick what size oh, you like. Oh, use this one. I like this big oh, bite.
3: Okay. Up, there down, we... don't twist. Twist. No, no,
1: no. Oh, don't, don't twist. twist. Now.
3: See, when you twist the edges? Oh, yeah. When they're in the oven, they struggle to go up. Uh, Okay, when you go straight up and down, it rises. All right, let's pretend
1: we did all that. Now we get them in the oven, and then we're going to get to the finished
3: deal here. You You have to to brush your babies with butter. Oh, yeah. And then you get your sugar, and you hit it. Oh, sugar. It's a secret, but now everyone knows it. Uh, But that's a secret. Sugar. Okay, you put them in the oven at 450 for 18 minutes, turn Mm -hmm. the pan at 9, and out they come. Okay? Voila.
1: Okay? Real biscuits. Real southern biscuits you guys so that's that's what we're looking for right there right
3: you butter your babies okay butter the babies and give them to someone you love
1: oh uh, thank you Marianne. now of course this pan
3: would normally be scalding hot uh, so i made hot jam gravy okay so I we're think gonna that's great let's get you a biscuit real quick okay okay let's get
1: a biscuit while you're doing that i'm going to tell everybody that you need to check out mary ann's book it's called the biscuit dive guide And when you're in Nashville, you can sign up for her biscuit class. I promise, I'm going to sign up and take her class. All that information on how to do that is at Huckabee.tv. She has made me one beautiful-looking biscuit with all these fancy preserves on it. So while I eat biscuits, Keith's gonna butter you up by telling you what's coming next. Here we go.
0: Key words being, he's gonna eat the biscuit. Well, after the break, former senior government official Cash Patel gives us a glimpse into the deep state. Later, the magic of fuck. Stick around, you're watching Huckabee.
1: They had a real hard time getting me off that table of the biscuits, I'm just telling you. (laughs) But I'll tell you what, you don't have a hard time getting me to talk about, and that's the volunteers at Samaritan's Purse. And here's why. They continue to work around the clock to help those in need all over the nation and, quite frankly, all over the world. Every bit of this couldn't happen without your prayerful and financial support. Because when you give to Samaritan's Purse, you not only help to provide physical aid for suffering people, but many hearts and lives are changed forever in Jesus' name. I hope you'll give today to Samaritan's Purse by going to their website or calling them and doing it today. Thanks and God bless. Well, Cash Patel has served in many high-level roles in the federal government, including Senior Advisor to the U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, Senior Director for Counterterrorism at the National Security Council, and as Chief of Staff to the Acting Secretary of Defense during the Trump administration. He's got a brand new book. I love the title government gangsters. Yeah, he he expects some backlash for it, no doubt. But the American people deserve to have a look behind the curtain to help us see what's back there. Welcome back to the show, Cash Patel. Cash, welcome back. Good to have you. I find it interesting, your book Should have been out months ago, but it got delayed because the federal government wanted to take a good look at it.
4: Could you believe that they wanted to do some censorship? You know, I thought when I wrote this book, after 16 years in government, I wanted a roadmap for people who wanted to educate and be inspired but also serve our country. The most important thing I wanted to put out was the truth. And we took about three months to write the book, but um, we'd spent 10 months fighting the Biden administration's blockade. I had to sue them in federal court to win the rights back to my manuscript to release it. So the question is, what did they not want you to see in this book? Why would they hold it so long? I mean, either if they said that
1: it was not true, they would have just said, well, it's a bunch of lies, so go read it and we'll tell you it's all lies. That's not what they did. They tried to keep it out of the hands of the public.
4: They would have done that or they would have redacted 98% of the book. And if you actually look at it, um, you have one of the first presale copies, Governor. I'm, hmm. I'm glad to be on your show, and thank you for having me. They redacted less than 0.05% of the book, so you have to ask yourself what's in there. So what's in government gangsters is it's not a Republican or Democrat thing. When you go serve the United States of America, you go serve our country. You don't serve a political party, and you serve the mission, and I serve the national security mission, and I name people who failed. I name Republicans. I name Democrats. I named why they failed. But most importantly, I tell the people how we fix our agencies and departments so they're no longer weaponized for political purposes.
1: That's what I think many of us are worried about, Cash. There is a weaponization of the alphabet agencies, mm-hmm. whether it's the DOJ, the FBI, yeah. the CIA, whatever it may be. And, and they're being used to attack political opponents, which I and mean, I don't care what a person's political persuasion mm-hmm. is. That's unacceptable. How do we fix that?
4: It's it's unacceptable, it's unconstitutional, uh, Governor. And the way we fix it, what I talk about in Government Gangsters is you have to use not just the executive branch for personnel and not just the cabinet secretaries, but go 10 levels down. Then you gotta give Congress its constitutional oversight authority and empower them to come in when people fail, when people break the law.
1: Well, one thing I'm very concerned about, you mentioned it, Cash, is that if Congress is not allowed to do the function, that it is his constitutional duty, and that's oversight, so that they look at things. They are our elected representatives. They are supposed to examine whether or not government work is being done properly, correctly, constitutionally. They get stonewalled all the time, and the agencies say, no, we are not going to give that information. Aren't they required by law? to cough up the information that Congress has for?
4: These agencies work for the United States Congress. You're right, it's a constitutional repub- uh, republic re- requirement that they go and report to them, not just how they're spending money, but how they're conducting business. But the problem is the heads of these agencies, have, as you said, have stonewalled Congress, so there's a there's a solution for this. And I, we did it once when I ran the Russiagate investigation. It's our taxpayer dollars that fund these alphabet agencies and Congress writes the checks. So when they break the law, when they fail to produce documents, you take some of their money.
1: Describe and tell us what is the deep
4: state and how should we be afraid of it? I wish it was a fiction governor. I wish we didn't have a deep state and the deep state has become so large that it's no longer deep and quiet. It's just out in the open. And, it, and it's weaponized by not just the folks in government, but the mainstream media. They have just lampooned themselves and attached themselves on to whatever political narrative they want to advance. I mean, whether or not you like Donald Trump or dislike him, half the country still thinks he's a Russian asset. And look at the Hunter Biden fiasco. Five yeah. years ago, this individual should have been charged with a simple felon in possession gun charge. It took five years, a special counsel and multiple congressional investigations, to charge him with what any other individual would have been charged with overnight. This two-tier system of justice is emblematic of the deep state. And in order to crush it, you have to go after not just the media, but the individuals responsible. And you got to get the judiciary involved. There's too many judges Mm. who are going and rubber stamping these actions. And I encourage Congress to start impeaching some of these lifetime appointments.
1: I think it's uh, a a book whose time has come, Government Gangsters is the name of it. It's out right now. I hope you'll go to Huckabee.tv, follow the links to get your copy of Government Gangsters. You can also follow Cash Patel on social media. Keith Bilbrey, uh, he's not a gangster, he's a good guy. And he's gonna tell us what's coming up next, Keith.
0: Well, the magic of Buck is here to dazzle our audience next. Then get ready for an incredible performance by singer Harper Grace, it's all ahead on Huckabee. Welcome, Kansas Senator Roger Marshall to the studio. Also, the glorious gospel music from Point of Grace.
1: Welcome back. Now, when tonight's musical guest was just 11 years old, she sang the national anthem at an event with no monitors. Her off-key performance was viciously attacked online. She even got death threats at age 11. But boy, did she ever show them. She's now an American Idol Top 50 veteran and a rising country star. She sings the National Anthem now all over the country, and she's sharing her anti-bullying message on her redemption tour. It is an honor to welcome to the show, Harper Grace. It's good to have you here, Harper.
5: Thank you for having me. You know,
1: when I've heard this story, you were 11 years old and you go into this soccer stadium, you're asked to do the National Anthem, and they really sucker punched you because they didn't tell you that their loudspeakers were gonna be feeding back and echoing in your ears. You can't get pitch (laughs) to sing when that's going on, but they blasted you for it. You know, most 11 year olds would have folded and never again gone on a stage. Did you think about that? Just saying that's it, quit?
6: Yeah, I mean, We had death threats sent into our personal mailboxes at home with, you know, knives and fake blood on them. Um, I definitely had times where I thought that I wanted to curl up in a ball and never sing again, but faith was what got me through all of it. I knew that the Lord had a plan. My parents changed their prayer that day and asked the Lord to use me in a mighty way. And so I just had faith in knowing that God was going to make something beautiful out of the crazy storm. My heart now is to really just be an inspiration to anybody, you know, who's experienced the bullying in general, because it's just, it's a hard place to get torn down, especially for something that you love to do. But hoping that the story that the Lord's placed there for me to be able to use as a testimony is an encouragement to let anybody know whatever is placed in your heart that you can do anything you set your mind to.
1: And one of the songs that you are now performing is called, Oh, Say Can You See? It's kind of a story of what happened. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, that has to be sort of the last laugh on your part.
6: I, am super honored to have a song that talks about the experience, but also how I got through it. It's kind of set up as a, a a letter to my younger self. Mm. And, um, it's kind of this redemption song that has, tells the story of exactly what happened. Every single thing in the song is true, but it doesn't go to the deepest, darkest part. But, you know, it's, it's coming out of that and realizing that it's 11 years later, you know, and I get this, this song that, I'm singing to my younger self at the same time that I'm also going out and singing the national anthem and and redeeming myself all over again because we have such a great redeemer and open opportunities that are presenting itself for me to do so. And I also get to go into different um, cities and schools and share, you know, the anti-bullying story that is being presented and it's been great.
1: You're at an age where a lot of people are afraid Mm. to speak out about biblical truth. I can't tell you how refreshing it is to see someone young and biblical... (laughs) And grateful to God for what you're doing. It's very powerful, very powerful.
6: Well, I I continue to pray for boldness and courage to do so. (laughs) I
1: think you're getting it. And while uh, Harper gets ready to play and to sing, Keith is going to tell our viewers how they can hear more of Harper's music, which I think they're going to want to do. Well, head to
0: Huckabee.tv and we'll connect you to her latest releases, tour information, social media pages, and more. Now, performing Oh Say Can You See with Trey Corley and the Music City Connection, here's Harper Grace.
7: You're just 11 and it ain't fair. They laugh about your clothes and your dreams going nowhere. Those car girls like to talk Used to sit with the cool kids But now they're calling you stupid While you're eating all alone in a bathroom stall Oh darling right now it's hard to understand This moment right here is gonna write your We're little.